Hi, uh, this is Darren here, and I'm joined by Andrew. Hello, hi. Um, so very, very quickly, just doing a quick intro in front of our podcast. Last year, Andrew and I did a very insane thing for a very good cause, uh, where we recorded an 18-hour live podcast to support the Irish Cancer Society for Daffodil Day. That's right. Um, Huge day um, each year for the Irish Cancer Society, where a very, a very large portion of their fundraising happens that day. Now, yeah. this year, of course... It's a little bit different. Yes, this year it's been cancelled. Um, it's been estimated that they raised about €4 million Euro, uh, through Daffodil Day to account for 20% of their annual budget. They only receive 3% of their funding from the state. They're usually dependent on this. Um, COVID-19 crisis has meant that they've had to cancel and suspend this year's Daffodil Day. And the implications are huge. It's a charity that is very close to my heart, very close to Andrew's heart. Yeah, um, we, we both know people who have had or who, who have um, a, a cancer and people who've suffered from it. And the services the Irish Cancer Society provide are, are kind of immeasurable in terms of improving quality of life and improving awareness and supporting um, as well. So what we would like to request from listeners, um, and again, completely understand, um, if not, but just to, to raise awareness of it, if you do have a little bit of money and if you do enjoy the podcast, even if you don't enjoy the podcast, but also have a little bit of money, um, we would like to recommend that maybe you make a donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society to help make up the difference. Um, every little helps. So you can donate uh, directly at cancer.ie, which is the website. Uh, but you can also donate via text if you're based in Ireland um, as well. And if you text the word cancer uh, to 50300, that number again is 50300. 300, and that will make a couple of euro donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time, and we hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Hello, Darren. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And in keeping with this kind of, you know, crisis that's facing the world today, we thought that on the 250, we'd do our part to stop the spread of COVID-19, and we begin uh, working from home and working remotely. So we are doing this. Myself and Andrew aren't even in the same room. And we're joined by two people who aren't even in the same country. Donal and Donal. How are you, gentlemen? Pretty good. Hey. Okay, That's I should probably good. direct... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I should, direct... I should identify each of you individually rather than introducing you as the Donals. So Donal Sweeney, how are you, Donal? Hi, how's it going? I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's true. I'm Donal Sweeney. Uh, going very well. I'm in London. Uh, in a little room, uh, isolating myself, as as all of you are. Although we just started, we're still not even sort of technically isolating yet, but uh, I think we're all sort of starting to do it. It's a strange situation now, because on the island of Ireland, there are two different kind of regiments. There's one which is very much kind of... Um, um, everybody isolating themselves. And then there's, 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 there's different advice... Um, north of the border, yeah, which is strange because the virus doesn't appreciate the um, <laughs> jurisdiction. The <laughs> as it were. Yeah, it doesn't understand kind of what the difference is. Yeah, 
But um, and as I understand it, Donald Smith is actually in another country altogether, possibly. No, or had that trip? No, I'm actually oh, okay. not too far from from Donald Sweeney. I'm in uh, I'm in London too. Uh, I'm in I'm in Finsbury ah. Park. Also, getting used to spending a long time in in a in a limited set of rooms, um, having going for really really long walks, uh, while I should be working, while I still can. <laughs> <laughs> before they see us out. and what's interesting is thank you for coming on guys um we decided what we want to do is we want to do something that would be maybe a little bit topical maybe something that was related to the crisis that is happening in the world today a film that is important a film that is worthy a film that merits discussion and speaks to these most turbulent times however we decided instead we just talk about pandemic shock and terror um <laughs> But actually, this this idea kind of came, I believe, from you guys, from from Donal and Donal. Um, what was it about Birdemic that you guys wanted to talk about that made you go, "This is a movie that we want to talk about. And this is a movie we want to talk about right now." Well, Donal, Donal, Donal. Sorry, no. <laughs> Donal. There are three of them now. Um, Donal, sorry. Andrew, and me um, have a Donal Andy Mellowish. <laughs> there are two. There are, there are two Andrews, and then there are two Donalds. It's so deliciously convoluted. Yeah, and then there are two people who sound like each other. Yes, yeah, and then one yeah. of the Donalds sounds like me as well. Yeah, which I wait, which one is that? I used to put on the two fifty driving on long car journeys because. Well, I think your podcasting is amazing, Darren. I don't know you personally, but I feel like you sound exactly like Donald Smith. So I used to listen to it and it was like just hanging out with Andrew and Donald Smith in, in Dublin in 2009. Um, I'm pretty sure so you always... were my Tyler Durden and I, <laughs> I was being really, because I always wanted to have a podcast and then Donald informed me that I already did. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> and in fact, me and Donald tried to start a podcast. A long time ago. Like... Yeah, maybe 10 years ago and we never it never went anywhere. So that's the first element that I always wanted Donald to be on your podcast to hear you the two of you speak on the same podcast. And then and also I wanted to be on your podcast but I never had a reason to be on your podcast. Um and then the coronavirus happened and it's the perfect opportunity because we don't <laughs> need to be in the same country, which is so it's rare. <laughs> It, it is. It's, it all comes together. I, I, I must confess also. Uh, I, I had no part in, 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 uh, in choosing this film. So, uh, I, I, in fact, I feel like the guy who was wheeled into that BBC interview about maybe it's like fifteen years ago at this point, <laughs> and he realizes what's happening and he pulls this wonderful face, but goes through with it. Uh, so, yeah, Donald, you may have to inform us where oh, Hyperdemic uh, was the choice, if that was your choice. Well, because Donald is a qualified, it's like, yeah, there you go. Qualified, I want to say zoologist is the most basic qualification. I don't think that's a basic qualification. We can start in biology. (laughs) Yeah. Specializing in birds. We'll say scientist first. Okay. And I remember you were doing some research on some sort of frog epidemic. That's true, actually. You've drawn those things together. In a way, I never would have. That's true. I have worked yeah. a lot on birds, and on on uh, emerging infectious diseases. So, combine the two. Well done. Well done. And you have birdemic. 
<laughs> Which, yeah, coronavirus. I hope there's no ornithological expertise uh, um, expected of me here, but uh, well, we'll see. Yeah. I just realized this is quite possibly the only context in which anybody has uttered the line, Birdemic is the perfect movie. Um, but yes, very, very briefly in terms of introducing uh, Birdemic, for those who are not familiar with it, for people who are listening to the podcast, have kind of heard us mention Birdemic, and I kind of just want a brief introduction in terms of, of what Birdemic is. Birdemic is a movie released in 2009, uh, directed by a young director called James Nway. Um, he is the first generation children, uh, first generation son of Vietnamese immigrants. He works in, and this is going to be important when we talk about the film. He works in software engineering and sales, uh, particularly in Silicon Valley. This may or may not become relevant when we talk about the film that we're about to discuss. He has trademarked the term "master of the romantic thriller." Um, he submitted this movie, which he filmed over the course of seven months and produced over the course of four years, including post-production, pre-production and script writing, submitted the Sundance Film Festival in 2009. The Sundance Film Festival, for whatever reason, declined to show it in competition. So James Nway, not to be uh, dismissed or overlooked. James Wynn, I think. I, James... I heard him oh, say okay. they, they did like a documentary. And I was surprised they were pronouncing it like that, but they, they, that they were that they were saying win. Wait, um, James Win, perfect, cool. Sorry, apologies. I have a Vietnamese friend that I could get on the podcast. He'd be an expert in pronouncing that name. <laughs> Is his name Donal, or does he sound like Darren? Uh, <laughs> Those are the two criteria. Is he? Yeah. Um, is he yeah, more than two meters away? Because <laughs> then we can... Otherwise, we can't yeah. possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. But yes, so James Wynn, not, uh, not to be put out, not to feel like his dream had been trampled on, decided to drive around the Sundance Film Festival in a car that he had decorated with fake blood and the uh, plastic bodies of fake dead birds uh, playing the screeching sounds of agonized bird screams uh, while including a poster for the movie that he had... Fi- yeah, including a poster for the movie in which he misspelt the title of his own film. Uh, That's right. It was called Bidemic.com uh, was the website that he directed people Bidemic. I believe... Bidemic, which I believe is what they're going to call the Joe Biden blue wave in 2020. Um, but yes, <laughs> topical humor. Um, but yes. Well, who uh, knows Nguyen... how topical it would be. <laughs> Fair point. Um, but yes, Nguyen was not to be dissuaded. Um, he took to hang around bars and pubs uh, as this was taking place, as sometimes was taking well, place. Well, didn't, didn't uh, he scream this at a pub? He he did indeed. I was going to get to that. Uh, one of the more famous incidents that took place there was apparently he tried to abscond on a $15 bar tab, at which point <laughs> he was told that he could not leave. But if they gave him a copy of the film, he would be allowed. That would settle his bar tab. He went out to the car, leaving a stuffed dead bird with the staff as security, came back with the DVD screener of his movie, gave it to the guy at the bar. The guy at the bar let him go and discovered later that night that your man had given him a DVD with only the copy of the trailer on it, uh, which is kind of brilliant. <laughs> anyway, so oh, Nguyen by had the decided... Way, Bi- Bidemic is available. Bidemic. Oh, we, should, we should book that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before <laughs> this comes out, we should try and buy it. Um, but basically, yes, yeah, so Nguyen had a couple of these screenings. People went to see them. Um, 
people were very excited about this. There were, um, in fact, there's a documentary on Vice, which is very, very worth watching, uh, which is about two guys who saw this film um, at the Sundance or near or adjacent or within two meters of the Sundance Film Festival and decided That's that the... this movie absolutely had to be seen. That's um, the documentary so basically... I, I, I watched today. It's it. Coronavirus means that I have like loads of time. So I even feel like kind of, well, I'm not doing anything. I may as well research for the, for, for the podcast, which about. I never do. Now we're going to be stepping on each other's feet the entire time. I, I, like, this is very difficult to stay in my lane when, 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 when I'm like, in kind of, you know, house arrest. Um, um, yeah, so Nguyen sort of showed this screening, uh, screened the movie. Um, these people saw it. They took it to Severin Films. Severin Films turned it into a midnight movie phenomenon. Um, famously, there was a premiere that was held in Los Angeles, hosted by Eric and Tim, um, the uh, absurdist Tim comedians. Tim and Eric, apologies. Thank yes. you, Andrew, for that. <laughs> That uh, see, he's not stepping on my toes at all. But basically, they they hosted the the premiere, uh, which was apparently a very interesting night because you had half of the cast and crew of the film who were there to see their labor of love finally put on screen and celebrated as the work of genius that it was by their peers, and half the audience that were there for the open bar to revel in what had quickly been described as one of the worst movies ever made. Uh, Birdemic is the lowest ranked movie that we have covered on this podcast. Previously, that was House of the Dead, which was the eighth worst movie of all time. This is the fifth worst movie of all time. So I, so I guess the only real question I have for Donal and Donal um, is, had you seen this before? When did you see it? How did you see it? And why did you decide to share this with us? Do you want to go first, Swinney? Um, I had never seen this film before. I think um, I'm to blame, actually. I think it was Andrew. I was not even aware of this film. Um, uh, you had suggested Outbreak. Yeah, so I wanted to do Outbreak, but it's neither on the 250 nor the... What's the... What do you bottom call 100. The, the bottom 100? The bottom 100. It's on neither the, of those the lists. Two, why don't you call it this, the two shitty? Was this the only pandemic... <laughs> Was this the only <laughs> pandemic uh, film? Related on, film. On I think so. Maybe. I mean, there, there was... I think The Seventh Seal is arguably a sort of a plague movie, perhaps. You can get away with that, I think. Uh, but it's a very different film. Very different film. Well, that's why we're... That's why we're talking about this film. I'd never seen it before until this week. And it was one of the worst films I've ever seen. It definitely... It definitely belongs on this list. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of and Donal uh, Smith. You kind of mentioned yourself almost as a victim in this. Yeah, <laughs> as somebody who was kind of separate from the discussion. Somebody who was roped in. Did you know what you were getting into when you were volunteered for this and when you accepted uh, the uh, the request or the invitation? No, but that's actually. I mean, that's really on me, I suppose, because that's the type of thing I will do. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fine. I'll just I'll book it in. And then I'll think about what the consequences are later. Um, were, were you added to a WhatsApp group before yes. you knew what would happen? <laughs> that's, that's actually that's, 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 that's how my life was run. A new notification comes up. I'm in a WhatsApp group and there's a thing that's going to happen. And I don't put up any resistance. And I end up uh, watching. Yeah, I hadn't seen it before. Um uh, I I find it hard to approach 
whether or not it's the worst film I've ever seen because uh, when you go in knowing it's it's going to be a film, you you can't be disappointed or feel that like what is going on here like the you, the expectations are so important so it's certainly not the worst film watching experience i've ever had but even from the like the going in with that attitude it's still a bit of a struggle so yes i, I can see why it's the worst ever movie but but it's um, you know, I, I, I think that's it's little idiosyncrasies, uh, redeem it. So no, it's not. Also the bottom 100, what fraction of IMDb movies is that? Does anyone have a rough idea? Because uh, uh, like. The truly shit films aren't going to be on it. Yes. Because they're yeah. not significant enough to be on the shit list. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. I mean, the the films that are probably the worst movies ever are only ever going to be seen by a handful of people, mm. and even like then, you know, you're talking about friends and family. You're going to get people giving it a courtesy. 10. I have personally worked on films that are shittier than this film that no one will. Uh, you know, I've what really? Whoa! Oh, most films are shittier than this film, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You've worked on films. Are, have the other people that worked on that film that they only know about it? because they were added to a WhatsApp group and they just went through <laughs> with making the film. <laughs> Sometimes it works like that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the concept of the bottom 100 is interesting in itself. Uh, but I still think this it was an agony to watch this film. Pre- presumably, presumably the sound isn't as bad. On, on, on the ones that you helped <laughs> on anything you'd be involved with <laughs> I was about to say we, we should say that Donald Donald Sweeney is a sound engineer so this is a somewhat loaded question Hopefully just for not. listeners but yeah is that accurate actually that 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 uh, that job title because I wanted to ask when we when we go into talking about the movie I'm going to have a lot of questions about sound <laughs> like, oh, I'll fill those I'm, Andrew don't worry because there were, there were, there was somebody there was somebody asking recently kind of like why why should people um get to vote on Oscars who don't understand what they're voting on like kind of people yeah, say sound mixing and sound they, editing for example are the two categories that people Exactly yeah 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 and 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 that and that I wouldn't know the difference um but yeah I'm not that, um, let, can I just like qualify anything related to me being a sound engineer? I'm like not a very enthusiastic. I'm I don't know how to I know how to phrase it. I think I'm a very good sound engineer, and I know some things about sound. But I'm in no way like a movie buff, or I um I kind of do my job, and then somebody else does all that stuff. I don't really I don't really watch film. Like I I don't have like beautiful cinema speakers in my TV room. I don't have any of that stuff. I just, for the most part, just do my job for the video stuff. For music stuff, it, maybe I pay more attention to it. Um, I'm not sure how to explain it, but I'm going to be terrible at answering every question, every technical question you have. I still feel like you may be more qualified than the sound engineers that possibly work. I'm, I'm going to be film. as qualified as Donal is to talk about Bird and. <laughs> well, I'll see about that, Donal. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just very, very briefly, in terms of providing a sense of context, if you haven't watched the movie already, um, 
Birdemic was a labor of love for its director. It was famously edited in camera, uh, which means for those who aren't kind of familiar with film terms, means that basically when he was shooting scenes, he would shoot a line, he would pause, he would change camera positions, he would shoot the next line, and then he would pause, change camera positions, and shoot the line after that. Mm. So that the entire... And you can tell that watching the film, if we're being entirely honest. Um, that also explains a lot of the sound stuff, which is is delightfully odd, where there's no attempt to normalize or equalize sound across them or to attain, do, do any ADR or attain any sort of clean sampling. Um, but also even he processed it and edited it on his home computer. He still has the computer in which he cut together Birdemic sitting on his desk in his bedroom, um, which is, you know... <laughs> kind of i want to say a little bit heartwarming it's a little bit sort of like tommy Wiseau in the room in the disaster art it's a little bit of sort of like anyone can make a movie anyone can make oh, a movie sort of thing it's very much in that wheelhouse and the tim tim and eric were big kind of um supporters of the room as well so it, it's um and it's the same kind of story of somebody trying to make a sincere movie and um, it being a huge success, but not at all how they intended it to be. Yeah, I mean, there um, are reports from the premiere of, of James Nguyen giving high fives to people while the audience was cheering and laughing. And the question of being, did he necessarily, was he aware or did it matter to him that they were laughing at the movie rather than with the movie and the tension that exists sort of there? I mean, very famously, he's become kind of something of a huckster. Um, he landed himself in a great deal of trouble when somebody at Paramount Pictures invited him to host a screening of Birdemic at the studio. And he proceeded to announce on Good Morning America that he'd signed a three picture deal with Paramount <laughs> Pictures. Um, which understandably upset Paramount a great deal. Um, it may or may not explain why the sequel, uh, Birdemic 2, which we won't be covering, The Revenge, um, is primarily about the birds revenging themselves on Hollywood. Oh. Because uh, Nguyen has talked about how he feels like, I know. Well, oh yeah, but there's a lot of autobiographical stuff in these movies, which we'll probably get to unpacking uh, when we get into the Spore Zone. So before we do then, so three rounds of questions. I think Donald and Donald have kind of already answered these, but let's just run through them very quickly. So Donald Sweeney, do you think that this movie belongs on a list of the 100 worst movies ever made? Yes. It is significantly bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, and and Donald Smith probably I guess so I kind of want to bat for it but I don't know which way I should be batting and I've never been very good at that anyway so yes <laughs> perfect and Andrew um, yeah that, like I like for both reasons but like it's terrible and I want this um, on a list of things that are pulling focus um, because I, I like um, I suppose you're not asking yet if we're... sorry yes <laughs> put it on the bottom of the I'm always I always want to answer the other questions because I know they're coming up I want people to see this movie oh, okay <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. All right, so Donald, Donald Sweeney, would it be among the worst 100 movies you've ever seen? Now, you said you've worked on movies that are worse than this, but have you ever actually sat down and watched movies that are worse than these? And have you watched 100 of them? Are you asking, have I ever watched a film that I've worked on? The answer is potentially no. 
<laughs> uh, I do like that you made me seem like a jerk, and then we're like, no, it's a fair question. Um, or have you worked on 100 films worse than this? No, no. I can't for sure say that there are 100 films worse than this, because I might have only seen 100 <laughs> films in my life. <laughs> but definitely, um, it belongs on the 100 list. Perfect. And uh, and Donald Smith, the films you've seen, so the films that you, like, regardless of any sense of quality, just personally, as, like, an impulse in yourself, is this one of the worst 100 films you've ever uh, seen? Oh, yeah. I mean, even if you just think about The Fraction, that's why I want to know how many films to correct for me maybe having only seen 82 films um then even the best film i've seen will be in uh, amongst the worst 100 um but but yeah i don't want to watch it again (laughs) ever but i'm glad i watched it i'm really glad i watched it (laughs) um do you want to know how many movies there are on imdb oh yeah twenty thousand. i have no idea six point four 6.5 6.5 million. Okay. So bottom 100 is incredible. Yeah, that's an incredible accomplishment for, for a movie like this. Now, to be fair, there are certain criteria. It has to be seen by 10,000 people, for example. Um, okay. 10,000 people have to vote on it. So that immediately rules out, I suspect, somewhere around half to two-thirds of the kind of like 6.5 million. Uh, but still, that's... Because at the, at the beginning of this podcast, we saw a few movies that 10,000 people hadn't seen. Or certainly, like that, ten thousand people hadn't voted on. Yeah. Well, like, the, the, movie, the new <clears> entries, <throat> movies where 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 people didn't buy tickets, um, mm. like they they, they um, um, except except for those kind of screenings in 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 Russia where people are told to go. Um, <laughs> we we watched a Russian propaganda movie. Yes, Crimea, the liberation, liberation of Crimea, I think is what we mean. Oh Crimea River. I think, yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> that, was, that was that was before before the rules changed. Yes, and it became <laughs> more popular and stuff like that. It's notable that, for example, Birdemic Part Two only has four thousand uh, votes on it, so it isn't on the bottom one hundred yet. It's one of those movies that got pulled out of the bottom. 100. Oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love, I kind of love that you're rooting for it to like for uh, James Wynn to have like found his wind with that difficult second picture. Yeah, it's like no, maybe his second film was amazing. <laughs> I think as well, people don't like the way it's not bad. Like they, they, sorry, as in it's it's bad. Sorry, they don't like the way that it's bad. It, in as contrast, to the room. yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, no, the. Um, what they 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 kind of like the badness of the first movie because it's oh you mean the second one it's kind of sincerely trying yeah. to be um, yeah. uh, like that it it's and that it has um, it's a passion project of, uh, yeah. and a message yeah yeah and, and that it has a heart to it yeah. but that but that it feels like I think um, from the second movie that people are just kind of taking a mic um, it's a cashin like all sequels it's a soulless sequel cashin. Um, it is sadly not the Godfather 2 of terrible movies. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Is this among the worst 100 films you have ever seen? Definitely. Like, technically, um, there's, there's, yeah, there's just so much, um, so much bad stuff. And I, I mean, like, James, James Wynn will say, oh, well, I, I didn't have the budget. But, um, and if I, if I just had kind of hundreds of millions of dollars, um, then, then, then it would have been much better. But I, I guess, kind of, your budget 
will generally determine what kind of choices of movie you make. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's um, a reason why, say, Christopher Nolan made a $10,000 uh, film or £10,000 film that landed him work on Memento. And a reason why James Wynn made a $10,000 film that is this, you know? What was Christopher Nolan's $10,000 film? Uh, it was shot it... on weekends. It was kind of it was a it was a film about a stalker, really. It was another Hitchcock homage because they're all Hitchcock homages. But this one was basically about a dude who liked to stalk uh, women and men down streets and basically became embroiled in a murder mystery as a result. Was that the following? That's following. Yep, um, and it's well worth a look actually, as far as first films go. Um, all right then, and then final question, um, and this is the fun one, which is like if listeners listen to this podcast haven't yet seen Birdemic. Donald Sweeney, would you recommend that they pause the podcast, don't run out, don't go outside, stay within the social distancing space that you're in, and watch Birdemic Shock and Terror? I w- only if you're going to record a podcast about Birdemic should you watch Birdemic. It was not. It was an absolute slog to get through. <laughs> I would not. There are more valuable things you can do with your time. <laughs> There are a lot of people establishing podcasts at the moment, currently. People considering it. Um, Guess what? You can. Anyone (laughs) listening to this. And all you have to do is just watch Birdemic. And then Donald Smith, what about yourself? Uh, Would you recommend that people watch Birdemic, whether or not they're invited to WhatsApp groups? uh, I think you absolutely need to pause the podcast right now. And watch, <laughs> not right now, right after I finish this sentence or t- thought, um, and watch f- like five minutes of it. Because you cannot, it's very important to do that. Because I had no, I, I wanted to make sure that the copy I had was working. <laughs> um, and I skipped to the middle. I went, what the f- is this? And then, um, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, so... Uh, you need, absolutely, in order to appreciate the thing, the anything we're going to say, you need to at least get a little, a little morsel, a little mouthful, um, before, before, I mean, to truly, um, yeah, appreciate at least a little bit, but definitely don't watch the whole thing ever in your life. Yeah, Donald Smith makes a very good point in that it's, uh, it's one of those movies that it's very difficult to find legitimately. So if if a person was to find it illegitimately, they would kind of wonder: is is this just the yeah. um, like kind of um, the rough cut? Elite? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll or play. the fan uh, edit, or something like that. Exactly. Because like, um, I, I mean, myself and Andrew watched was it Lawnmower Man Lawnmower Two? Lawnmower Man Two, and it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> Lawnmower Man Two at all, was it? <laughs> It was a fan edit of Lawnmower Man 2, which is kind of interesting because I didn't know that Lawnmower Man 2 had enough fans to justify a fan era. Well, people people were like, oh, Lawnmower Man 1 was such a great movie. Lawnmower Man 2 should have been better. And here, here's, like, I'm going to fix it. Um, yeah. So they, By they putting put the... most of Lawnmower Man 1 in Lawnmower Man 2, it turns out. Did they, have, did, they, did they keep the bit where the dog puts the CD into the computer? No. They took out all the, <laughs> they took all the that jokes. Out. Okay. Yes, because they're no fun. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend that people watch this? Sorry. I just, I just had a very bad swallow. Um, <laughs> Is that a bird pun? Oh, a bird pun! I was about yeah. to say. Um, oh. 
<laughs> no. We're done. Bad puns. I'm calling done. foul. Bad puns. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll, I'll quit while I'm behind. The listeners aren't aware um, there were a lot of bad puns leading up to this there... podcast. <laughs> uh, don't worry, we're just winging it. Dar- Darren has like a few fool's cap pages. So. <laughs> I mean, when I was watching this movie, I was trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. So, um, <laughs> would, I, would I recommend this? Um, yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, I, I, I think, I think we should probably. Um, I think it's difficult to um, um, not to underline too much how how bad this is. Like we talked about how how it's kind of he could have made choices to to have made a a low budget movie. He pretty much does up until about forty six minutes into it, <laughs> and it's still terrible. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, like, it's, he, the ro- it's the romantic thriller. Exactly, uh, it's that yeah, yeah. thing that he's homaging. Um, again, trademark the term master of the romantic thriller, <laughs> just so we know what we're working with here. I think, yeah, I think he features to be Hedron at some point. Uh, um, so, yeah. He it, does indeed. Tip, Tippy Hedron, uh, who appeared in his previous film, Jack and Jill, I believe, and who... Uh, yeah, who was in Birds. Yes, um, and who has an appearance here that we are... I want to discuss in the spoiler zone because it's an interesting appearance. She's third build in the credits, in case anybody noticed it. <gasps> well, I think I know who she is. But, um, no, I, I, yeah, I'd, re- I'd, re- I'd recommend people watch it. I laughed a lot watching it. Um, and it's... Um, uh, part, part, parts of it are um, kind of feel insufferable, but the, 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 some, sometimes it goes into the, 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 the zone where, where, where it comes out of um, being kind of too much and, and gets into um, being incredible, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, kind of, I kind of agree with that a little bit. I think obviously um, if you like good movies, don't watch this movie. If you want a movie that will entertain you, don't watch this movie. If you like bad movies, watch this movie. Yes. Um, what I would say, and what I find interesting about this is, you know, a lot of talk about, like, directors and auteurs and, like, that sort of stuff as narcissism. The idea of, kind of, like, the director as, kind of, a writer and creator who imposes his will on the world and how when you're watching a movie, you're invited into the headspace of the person making it. I would remark that Birdemic is one of those movies that feels like you're in being John Malkovich. I feel like I've been inside James Wynn's head. I feel like I've thought everything that ran through his mind. I feel like I've been somebody else for like the solid hour and a half that this goes on. It's something to behold. It is one of the worst films I've ever seen from a technical standpoint. Um, It looks worse than student films that I've seen, student films that I've watched. Uh, It's, Possibly the worst theatrical release film that I've, I've ever seen, which is, is astounding. Um, but at the same time, it's that kind of bad movie kind of juju that Andrew is talking about where it's not ironically bad. It's trying. It's so hard to be good. You get a sense that this was a labor of love. This was somebody trying to explain how he sees the world, how he processes <laughs> well, the world, what he thinks the world is like. That's a very good like, way that... of, of saying it because like, like you mentioned auteurs and you're kind of watching a movie and you say, oh, that, that's somebody trying to make an auteurish um, touch. And then you watch another movie and it's like, oh, yes, an alien made this movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is this is no, definitely is. one of those, and the, the room is another. 
When it, it's, yeah. it's like the most conceivable explanation for it was that it was made by somebody from another planet. I think that's yeah. that's the hook here because it's so deeply mysterious. It's not just bad. It's bad in a way that is below the level of bad that you'd expect of even myself. Um, there are inconceivable moments or inconceivable ways of doing it. And that's what makes it so beguiling. Yeah. It's not bad because like, it's amateurish. It's bad because the person who's judging it and making the decisions just has a completely different apparatus, I think, to, <laughs> to us. It's bad in ways that you wouldn't have conceived of yeah. if you were setting out to make a bad movie. We couldn't get in the bottom 100 because we would have never thought to have botched some of the things that were botched because maybe we didn't even know they were there to be botched. I don't know. But you remember when you made, did you make films when you were 10 with like a, a DV camera? No, I made, I made a radio program. It felt very like that. It felt very like, uh, let's ditch that idea. Let's do this thing. Okay. More running. Okay. He's just going to run for a while and then yeah, make him run back. And then like, that's like five minutes of the film. <laughs> um, it's like a 10 year old, well, kind of like a 10 year old made a film. With 10, but it's, it's like a 10-year-old made a film, but the 10-year-old had grown into a middle-aged man. And again, this is the stuff that we're kind of talking about. How old there, was he when like, he made the film? A, um, I don't know, actually. Probably, I think in his mid-30s. Oh, anyway. wow. Um, oh, that's unforgivable. Because I, <laughs> I thought, like, maybe he's just 20. And maybe, you know, oh, he's just been living with this mistake his whole life. Uh, <laughs> but No, because he, he would have left before he was a child at the fall of Saigon. Um, mm. And he left uh, Vietnam at the Falls I Gone. So he would have been at least 30, uh, 35 making this film, even allowed for the four year production cycle. Um, so, yeah, no, this was. Uh, and again, there's a real sense of that. Like, again, you know, we talked about American Beauty. And we talked about American the Beauty. Fall of <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get to that. We get to the spoilers. So. This, this is but the no, trauma. No, there's a sense of that. Kind of, Re, re, reiterating itself. Well, he has described it as an anti-war parable, which I suspect we're going to get into in the spoiler zone. It's also an environmental parable. It's also a story about a middle-aged man working at a software company who has finally, finally, finally taken, you know, given the proper respect that he deserves, the supermodel girlfriend that he deserves, the millions of dollars that he deserves, and the complete artistic freedom that he deserves mm -hmm. as well. Um, and that's what I mean when we talk about this idea of the narcissism of the auteur. Yeah. There's a real sense watching it that you see the director being like, not only is this how I see the world, this is how I see the world as it should be. And like being invited into somebody's brain in a way that doesn't really happen that often. Um, and I kind of, I feel dirty afterwards, but I also feel like I maybe have an understanding of a part of the human condition that I didn't have before I did it, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. In that respect, yeah. it's valuable having watched it. <laughs> 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 but not for any of the normal reasons you would watch a film you watch a film yeah if you, All right, yeah then. like if you don't if you know if if you're feeling kind of lazy and you don't want to have a shower and watch this movie and then <laughs> <laughs> it'll get you into the shower um <laughs> I, again roger ebert describes cinema as an empathy machine i think this pushes the limits of that because you're like yeah that's what the inside of somebody's brain feels like um all right then with that in mind then i think we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone spoiler zone so donald smith oh no as our expert in birds our expert in pandemics and you know somebody who was so important in this conversation <laughs> that you were dragged in against your will 
what is Birdemic Shock and Terror about for you? Um, the unintended consequences of unsustainable uh, uh, environmental exploitation, I guess. <laughs> solar power, man. It's, it's, it's solar power, man. That's the future. Yeah. Yeah. That is the most lofty theme you could have gone for. Straight away, you went for that one. That's what it's about. And also, yeah. and also, absolutely. Uh, what? Absolutely, I mean, it absolutely is about that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Was that? Well, I, I was being asked in my capacity as the expert on these things. So that's the thing. That's the answer to that question. It's about a lot of other things, but that's one of the things that it's about. And and if you were to rate, and again, as an expert, as a scientist. <laughs> As a man who we found standing on a bridge, uh, telling us not to go near those birds because they're <laughs> yeah. contaminated. Um, if we were to invite you over to our picnic table, what would you? How would you rate the scientific accuracy of this film? It's um, like, so there were a lot of there were a lot of um, accuracies. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's uh, bottom 100, I think, in terms of scientific accuracy. Yeah, it's definitely in the bottom 100 movies I've seen. Tell us the science. To... What science does it do? <laughs> it does uh, well, infections. It, it doesn't really do infections, does it? The birds are infected. Yeah, yeah but they're does... contaminated with, the um, was it bird flu virus? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, which is driven by climate change. Yeah, and... that was, it, it was, it wasn't followed through to the conclusion that it would be made if it was made today during the coronavirus outbreak he would have followed that that line much better yeah yeah would he have no <laughs> but it, it was it was it was like it was a showpiece for 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 these for these ideas about climate change and peace yeah yeah um, the peace bit ah oh, we should have had a peace yeah. expert um, like, <laughs> it was a beautiful Yoko mishmash ono. of sort of Darren, lofty ideas. Sorry. <laughs> I want to get into the Yoko Ono thing at some point. All right. Well, but, we'll, we'll, yeah. we're going to jump right in in a moment, but right. I, I just have one more question. Yeah. Our scientific okay. Expert. Yeah. Okay. Having watched Birdemic, maybe having watched it twice for this podcast, I just want you to confirm for me, is it at all possible for birds to make dive bong sounds and then explode in a CGI mess with smoke coming up out of the remains? Is that scientifically accurate? Is that something I have to worry about in my life? Like, nothing's off the table. <laughs> but <laughs> as far as I'm aware, that's never been documented. All right. I appreciate your scientific input. Okay. Let's talk about the Yoko Ono stuff. <laughs> So yeah, the imagined piece, right? Because this is something that pops up repeatedly over the course of the film. It directs people to Yoko Ono's website, uh, imagine-piece.com, in case people don't pick up on it. And I wonder if people did, but did you notice the musical cue? Yes. Yeah, it's called Imagine Peace, that musical cue. (laughs) Throughout the film, whenever, um, is it Rick and Maya? Is, is Is that her name? Yes. Um, appear on screen 
Um, they play a cue which sounds suspiciously like, but not copyright infringingly <laughs> close to, uh, the work of John Lennon. And in fact, and again, this is talking about James Wynn as an as a an artist with true vision. And again, I I feel like it was my shortcoming as a critic that I didn't realize this. I had to actually have it explained to me. But the fact that he opens, he introduces uh, Maya. Uh, with Rick in bed with that imaginepeace.com website They're behind John them. And Yoko. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was a nod to their bed in together. Uh, in order to it illustrate feels like something peace. different though, doesn't it? Like <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? Because they have clothes on. It feels like some dirty website. And um and and and, and that there's some kind of um uh a massage that their webcam or it's a phone in yeah 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 well i mean it's it's a motel it's very clearly a motel which somehow makes it seedier and creepier There's a lot and of maya is wearing a swimsuit uh, oh yeah that... because i i think it's because he he got to use his parents house or maybe it's his house and his parents live there but it's his house um and it's 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 used a number of times in the movie, and I guess he didn't have access to other locations. So, and he probably um, didn't want to film sex scenes there. Um, for example, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because his parents in. would be walking in and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Saying what are you um, doing? They, again, it is strange that they go to a motel in in the world of the movie. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, well, in the world of the movie, sex is something that only happens at motels. Actually, do we want to talk? We should probably then talk about this this weird thing that goes on, right? Because Rod, and again, I feel like maybe I'm being a bit mean to Mr. Nguyen, but it's very, very clear that Rod is intended as an authorial stand-in uh, in for the purposes of the film. The film opens with him, his commute. There's a lot of emphasis on Rod's commute, how much Rod time Rod spends driving around San Francisco. It's a driving long home. scene. It is, um, and driving to work even as well when he's driving to the office as well there's a similarly kind of long kind of sequence there and lots of shots there's of more driving in this than in Le Mans 66 <laughs> or, drive yeah or, or in the like or Fast and driving. Furious movies yeah yeah than actual movies about cars and like yeah. again when he when he but the the emphasis is very much on what his life is like there's lots of shots for example of him eating breakfast watching the news you'll notice when in those scenes in conversation again oh, i feel terrible that bears. i'm dissecting yeah i'm dissecting <laughs> i'm dissecting the cinema of james nguyen but you'll notice that whenever there are scenes with him enacting interacting with other people so like when he's watching the news or when he's interacting with rick at his desk the camera instinctively changes position to be in his point of view it's very much a film mm -hmm. shot from inside rod's head and again you can see that with the office where he's working um and he's you know, an engineer who dreams of being a salesman, but he's the best salesman in Silicon Valley, um, despite the fact that he apparently offers all of his clients 50% off their million-dollar deals, <laughs> which seems like it's a highly questionable business strategy. What does it take to earn your business, sir? I'll give you that and a 50% discount. <laughs> but he does get a... He, and then he only gets, he only gets a thousand off the 20 grand yeah. solar panels. 
<laughs> and again, that's how cool he is. It's like he doesn't rip off the solar panel guy, but the solar panel guy respects his game so much that for you, I'll drop it by a thousand. It's yeah. the biggest sale of his career. There's a moment where um, after they get bought by Oracle, and, I, and again, so hyper specific that he's like, I don't just dream of my company being bought by a conglomerate. I have decided which conglomerate they're going to be bought by. Um, oh, because it's, it, it's like, is, isn't he the guy who owns... Um... Isn't he uh, Larry Ellison? Aren't, yes, aren't, he is. Both, yeah. both his children are movie producers. Yes, and there's a connection there as well. And uh, Nguyen himself has talked about how his dream, his own personal dream, uh, is that one day his software company will be bought by somebody. He mentions Google, Yahoo, whatever. Uh, Google is six blocks away. Maybe they'd buy us out, and hopefully I'd have a few million dollars to make movies. And there's very much a sense of that happening in the film. And you can tell repeatedly um, in the film that like they single out Rod for like, after the meeting where they all earn million dollar bonuses, his boss takes him aside and Rod says to him, I earned it. And his boss says, you've done a great job, Rod. And we really appreciate your contribution. Um, and it keeps going along those lines where he wants to develop like the, the kind of the, um, the solar well, panel technology. But that, even the scene, that scene is incredible. They, it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of the, the most egregious examples of, of, of something just overplaying like they and it's brilliant they're, they're exactly. and you think it <laughs> you think it stopped but it's not it just keeps going <laughs> rod makes the sale rod makes the sale for a million dollars and then the ceo sells the company or whatever it is for a billion dollars a billion dollars <laughs> <laughs> the two figures a million and a billion <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like later on in the in the movie, it's like, oh, it's a hundred dollars a gallon, and it's like, what? <laughs> like that's a huge amount of money. He deals in big numbers, <laughs> billion, million, one thousand off the solar panels. <laughs> Notice that is yeah, and a thousand nice round numbers. Everything's a multiple yeah. of ten. It's the one thousand off the solar panels. You'll notice that it's also a hundred bucks for a gallon. But it's also um, notice how much his car gets. His hybrid car gets one hundred miles to a gallon. I don't drive. I don't drive cars, but I know that that's a lot of miles to get to a gallon. Um, if we're being entirely frank, and again. That sense of like Rod being a stand-in um, for the director is very, very obvious in the relationship that he has um, in his kind of courtship, um, where he meets a girlfriend who's like, what do you do? I'm a fashion model. And she works for Dream Models. Um, and she keeps talking about how much he respects her as a person. That whole... And how much... Go on. Yeah, the whole sequence where she's like, I feel like he's not trying to get some. Um, and the movie's all like, hey, look at how cool Rod is. He's a nice guy. But it also wants you to know that he's got a super hot smoking girlfriend who he totally has sex with. Because he's like, when he's there, I'm a fashion model and a beautiful one, too. Or I think you'll look great in those lingerie. Yeah. Um, or yeah. can I can I come into your apartment after our first date? Um, or even the bit where he's talking with Rick and Rick is like, is she hot? And Rod's like, yeah, she's hot, but I respect her as a person. Which again, it's one of those well, she's weird... His, sort of... She's his Ferrari. <laughs> she's my Ferrari. <laughs> and again, there's the Where What were you, you, you going to say, Tom? Um, yeah, no, but that whole element of the film, that's a whole, if we're going to talk about the themes in the film, there's this, it's not like an intentional theme, but it's like, I don't know what the word is for it. It's not me too, but it's just 
this meet cute scenario where it's so easy for Rod. He just meets this woman. He t- he creepily follows her on the street, talks to her with yeah. like no content. Like he has nothing to offer. But her. he can't creep up on her because his <laughs> footsteps make crunching <laughs> noises. <laughs> Yeah, very his wa- are we going to talk about his walk as well? Because his walk is my favorite thing <laughs> in the entire movie. Apparently, the actor found that he couldn't move on camera without feeling awkward and stilted and wooden. Um, and apparently, <laughs> and so he kept going though. <laughs> yeah, he kind of powered through it, um, as it were. Yeah, I know we digressed from from the important question here. I also just I was worried about the person who was going to come back for his order as well. That oh, whole yes. scene. Never returned. Yeah, oh he never yeah. Came back. Maybe he had so it. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's the moment you realise what kind of food movie it is as well. So I feel like she's a really important person in the whole film. Yeah. She sets the tone. <laughs> she really, really yeah. does. The acting the acting never improves from that moment. <laughs> but she, um, and- I found actually, like, I don't know, I feel like this is like a shining light of the movie. I thought she was okay. I, uh, yes. the, the 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 actress is with yeah. Whitney Moore. Whitney Moore. I, yeah. I I I I thought she did like um, seemed to be doing a, a somewhat better job than um, Alan Ba. Yeah, most yeah, other yeah. people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it's notable that Whitney Moore is one of the few actors coming out of this who has arguably had a kind of a career stemming from it, where she's done a lot of voiceover work, for example. She's done some TV work off the back of it as well. I mean, she's never going to be an A-list actor, but she's actually got work off the back of this, um, which is kind of amazing. When you look at Ba, who just sort of radiates this weird creepiness. Um, Yeah, Ba can't do anything. He can't. He can't. He's like, um, he's asked to walk. He can't. He's like... (laughs) Get him to play basketball. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Poor guy. That was awesome. I don't see. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I think the, when he responded to, um, who was it? Was it Be- Becky's death? When, when, when? Yes. Ramsey's <laughs> girlfriend. Yes. Where, where is Becky? She's taking a. <laughs> right. Obviously the line of the movie. But it's more to death when uh, uh, the dude is like, is really upset. And he's just staring at him, kind of hoping that the situation will go away. Just blankly, kind of going, oh, it's, "This is this is the alien bit, I guess, that you're talking about, Andrew." Uh, yeah. He's like, oh, um, I'm sorry," is what he says after about thirty seconds of watching his friend grieve. No, the line of the movie for me was when when she's wearing her lingerie, um, and uh, I think they're about to have sex for the first time, and he's wearing like a tank top, like a black <laughs> vest thing, and he says, "You look fine." <laughs> the way he says "fine" is like, "You look okay." Yeah, there's, it's very much like there's going to be a body in this motel room this evening, you know, sort of thing. Um, that that sequence, by the way, is the cameo from Tippy Hedren. That's what got Tippi Hedren third build. She appears in the background on television um, in that sequence, in footage. And again, this shows you how cynical Nguyen is as a director. He got her third billing because she's the only recognizable actor in the film by playing video footage of the last film that he made with her in it on a TV in the background of a scene where his lead actress is wearing a bra and thong. That's, wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, there is something terrifying about that. It's like aside from like the 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 extent to which this is like the they they even have the 
the ornithologist um, who appears. Oh, like um, I kind Played of controversially was the, like um, have have seen um, the birds and thought this is not a good movie. <laughs> well, um, now you know better, but, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, because of scenes like that in the birds, where they're in a bar and then an ornithologist turns around and starts talking about birds. Um, where and but how how unbelievable is that? Um, having said that, I suppose we have an ornithologist here, which is unbelievable. And, I mean, and to, to be fair, <laughs> the ornithologist like tries. The, the actor Rick Camp is really, really trying. Like he's learned his monologue. And again, this is one of those really crappy production things where, despite the fact apparently this birdemic is taking place, there are still kids playing on the little sort of table behind them as they're recording yeah. this. You can see families frolicking on the beach in the background. Well, one um, could liken if... the situation to uh, the UK right now. That's true. <laughs> That's in playgrounds. Talking to one guy in a mask while everyone else frolics around as if there's nothing happening. But those in the know, it's... luckily, are having a picnic <laughs> on a picnic bench. So what you're saying is Birdemic is like a social commentary masterpiece, really. It's just years ahead. It's took the world years to yeah, catch up. Yeah, about a decade Sorry, ahead of its time. It is, it is that people are ignoring climate change because like, they're opening fire uh, on these birds on the side of the road. And meanwhile, traffic is just driving by normally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, that was definitely a choice. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually, to be fair to the director, so the actor uh, Rick Camp, who plays Doctor Jones, he's really, really trying. You can tell that he's been given the script, which is absolute <laughs> nonsense, and he's like, "I have to monologue my way through it." Um, and so you get these. Yeah, no, I think he gets credit for trying, and the the, the guy in the in the karaoke bar. Oh my um, god, the, uh, that is my favorite scene. No, that's my <laughs> favorite part the, of the whole film. That is, can we, we, can we save that for later? Karaoke bar. Can we save that no, for later? No, it's an actual band, yeah. yeah. Hanging out, isn't it? Hanging yeah. out with my oh, family. Oh, sorry. It made no, me Damien. think of karaoke because of the, when they're, when they're dancing together earlier, oh, the earlier on. Yeah, 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 yeah. That looks like no, a, go, a karaoke Go back to Dr. Background. John. Go back to Dr. John, Darren. Finish that thought. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> But the thing about like Dr. Joan, which is amazing, is that you, he gets all these really terrible lines. You get the music swelling in the background. Oh, I yeah. feel like we should talk about the music in this film because it's all very much like stolen MIDI files that are basically <laughs> very close to film music that you recognize, but also completely free to use. Um, again, Nguyen was a famously stingy um, director when it came to this. Apparently the makeup artist quit after two weeks working on it because he refused to pay them. Um, the actors who worked on the film, he refused to pay. And apparently threatened to remove them from the credits um, what he actually did with some of them was he blackmailed them into coming to the premiere promising that he would pay them and then absolutely refused to do so as well apparently quite a bit of an operator is our Mr. Nguyen um, he also and I kind of adore this he made up a lot of the technical credits on the film because he felt like a real movie should have more names in the credits <laughs> so I stuff yeah, like I boom operator so, there was no exactly. boom operator <laughs> That's it exactly. Well done. You, you called oh it. Yeah, there's God. no sound mixer, no boom operator, no cinematographer. All those people are fake. They're all him. But he just <laughs> he told them all that there was going to be this amazing video effects editor was going to come in later on, 
and that he was this like kid that he had like he was some prodigy he had just kind of uh, graduated from college but then the guy the the, the fellow who was going to do VFX wanted to be paid money so he was like <laughs> no I'll just do it myself who is like kind of dragging and dropping these kind of animations onto onto the screen. Uh, and apparently, incredible. although not substantiated, from the 80s video game Phoenix, um, as well as where he got those animations or sprites, it has been claimed. Um, he has neither confirmed nor denied this assertion. Uh, but again, the, like, the thing with the Dr. Jones sequence is like you have him giving it socks. It's the human species playing cowboy with nature. We must act more like astronauts. And it's like you can tell <laughs> that he's read this script and he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but let's just power through it. Um, and I kind of love that Nguyen can never end a scene. He can never figure out how to get away from a scene that he's in. So after this big impassioned speech, Joan says, well, nice meeting you. Good luck. And wanders off. Uh, which is very similar to Treehugger slash Tom Hill later on. Yes. Um, who pops up to explain uh, um, a damn, global <laughs> damn global warming, sprouts bark beetle, global warming, climate change. I hear a mountain lion. I got to get in my house. You better get back to your car. <laughs> And his house is CG as well. His house yeah. in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> he was good. But I love that line from um, Dr. Jones. I called him Dr. John earlier. Um, we should act more like astronauts, like spacemen, taking care of our spaceship. It's kind of a beautiful line. I liked it too. <laughs> right? Because you puzzled at first. We should act more like astronauts. <laughs> it's like, for a brief moment, the most weird <laughs> statement of the entire movie because it's not full of weird lines it's just full of awful lines yeah. um yeah. but 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 then he sort of he pulls it off i think it's a really no, great it's line really it's just and like that's the point in the film where he could have made a coherent statement but everything that dr jones says <laughs> is just it doesn't he doesn't follow through on it like i read an article the other day about how maybe um the sort of like viruses that we're seeing come into the human um circulation are because we're encroaching too much on the natural environment and that's why we have all these these viral epidemics recently and he was basically starting to say that in the film but he just didn't follow through um and in that respect this is an excellent choice of film because it's incredibly um relevant. opposite yeah Despite though it took a while, there was a lot of watching it where I thought this is completely irrelevant. But that that moment, although not followed through, was relevant. I mean, come on, there is a sequence where they go and see an inconvenient truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's very on the nose. That's like we watched another film that talked about what this film is. <laughs> you should go film. see that. Film. It convinced it convinced his friend who, who wanted yes. to buy a man. That was a good movie, an inconvenient truth. <laughs> That's it. I am finally getting a car that is environmentally friendly. Um, and the best part of that is the best part of that sequence is the sequence where when they're editing in camera, you can tell that Wynn told about to deliver the line to kind of give a clean reading. So he doubles over himself. It's like that was really important to me. And then it cuts to the like across the and it's like to me you hear again in order yeah. to prompt the next line. It's so shoddily constructed. It's so oh. terribly made. I think it's it's apropos as well because of the the point about social distancing because like like they 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 kill so many people by by not leaving them alone like that entire bus yeah. full of people for example <laughs> bus. 
Yeah. Do we want to talk about Ramsey then? Actually, before we talk about the bus, just to get to to get to the bus, because Ramsey is an odd, odd character, right? Where did gun come from? He's a he's a Vietnam veteran. Sorry, he's he's an Iraq War veteran. But he left the army. He left the army because he was tired of all that killing, and now drives around the country in a truck that contains guns. Lots (laughs) and lots of guns. And there's a give peace a chance. (laughs) Yeah. While handing, and he, he says that while he actually hands uh, Rod a gun, and it's great because that's another one of those Alan Bow is a spaceman and not sure how to react to things, where it's like, here, have this gun, and he just sort of takes it, looks at it, and then just drives the car as if nothing's happened whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and those wonderful sequences of the two of them driving down the road with Ramsey firing the machine gun out the window, yeah. um, like while not driving. when it's being attacked, yeah, not when it's being attacked. <laughs> Just randomly shooting. <laughs> but again, this is how horribly kind of messed up it is. Because, like, do we think that, like, Ramsey is a traumatized war veteran who's driving around the country with a truck full of guns? That's a lot to unpack. That's a lot for a film to take on. But, the you know, was he going to kill himself or others, basically, before this movie happened? Before the Birdemic exploded? That's oh. my question. No. No, I think that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, I don't think there has to be a reason. They need the guns. They need to be driving around for the aesthetic of the movie with some sort of post-apocalyptic vibe. A truck with guns. I don't think you're supposed to think he's going to do something awful. Because <laughs> he's, cause he's the only character who has an emotional reaction to what's happening. Like, everybody else just kind of takes yeah. what's happening in their stride. Uh, you know, Rod is just like an emotional blank slate. It's Ramsey who has the big emotional breakdown at the climax with the bus. Well, first of all, with his girlfriend, Becky. Well, I think that, um, that, that's his post-traumatic stress in uh, in, in, in Iraq. Yeah. I didn't, like, um, but I think, I think they probably just didn't kind of do the scene that explained why he had the, the guns. Um... <laughs> But it's that like a dream. Yeah, yeah. It's strange because yeah, the the amount of kind of there's one shop that's abandoned because there's the Birdemic apocalypse. Then there's another shop where it's just business as usual <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and everything's normal. Um, Wait, no, but not everything's normal. Is that the shop where they get where they get gas for a hundred dollars a gallon? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not that awesome. wonderful sequence where. And, yeah. and Although that's Rod one of the best up. actors, the shopkeeper there, he's probably one of the most convincing people in the entire movie. It's because he's actually a shopkeeper, he's not an actor. <laughs> because, they, yeah, they, because of the eagles up here, the prices are really high. <laughs> I think they 100% went into a shop Guaranteed. and asked that guy to please, uh, yeah. But the, the wonderful line again from Rod, where it's like, hi, the eagle killed our friends. Do you have a phone I could use to call the police? It's just a wonderful line. And then the shopkeeper's response of, well, you know, from the eagle attack, we are short on gas. Um, it's just, again, it, it feels like a script that was written by an alien, kind of processing it. And again, I kind of love that, like, Rod, while holding a gun, and obviously now being a millionaire multiple times over, is like, it's a ripoff. And then there's just a pause, and he's like, fine. I'll pay you your blood money. 
Um, and again, like part of this is you can tell that the film is trying to do its uh, environmental message because it's all about how gas is evil and petrol is evil. Because you'll notice that they're dive bombing um, sort of petrol stations and attacking people in cars, for example. Have you noticed they're attacking people in cars and how people are profiteering from oil as well is kind of a big point. Because later on, they have the sequence where they get held up for the gas. <laughs> and they just leave the gas behind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're gone. Yeah, but know. that wonderful sequence where he's, and again, that wonderful death acting, where he's <laughs> just wandering, and he's told, oh, by the way, an eagle has swooped by and slit your throat. Uh, can you make it to the edge of the road and fall down? Uh, because we don't want you falling down on tarmac, but just so I like stumble, milk it if you can. Which is just a phenomenally terrible moment, but kind of like one of those where it's like, yep, yeah, it's in the movie. We did it all in one take. Yeah. <laughs> He pulls the gun on him. He pulls the gun and he says, let me buy some gas from you. <laughs> Instead of saying, give me some gas. <laughs> he still I mean, wants he's... to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> he's a perfectly reasonable person. You know, I mean, you know, if, if Rod had just sold him some gas, they wouldn't exactly. be in this situation in the first place. Yeah, it's it's just staggeringly, staggeringly ill-judged. Um, in terms of other characters we haven't really talked about, um, I actually There's... quite liked Rick. The friend Rick, Rick, oh yeah, he was um... like a day without sex is 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 a day not worth living or something along those he's lines. He's the chauvinist foil. Yeah, he's to right show us Rick? how good maybe yeah, he's to show us how good Rod is by comparison. Rod isn't a misogynist pig. He uh, just yeah. says things like yeah, he just says things like yes, she's hot or. I sat two seats behind you in class. And she's like, you remember that? And he's like, yes, yes, I do remember that. <laughs> um, I haven't internalized this at all. This isn't a romantic fantasy about me winning over that my high school crush in the middle of an apocalyptic disaster at all by becoming a multiple billionaire and saving the planet from evil birds or anything like that. That's not what this is at all. Um, there's, the, there's, there's the moment where does he tell him, does he tell Ron, like, I have to get back to work. And it's like, work? What do you mean? And it's like, sensual work. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was amazing. Wait, but we when we were talking about the peace, imaginepeace.com. Yeah. Right. They're having sex in a motel room with a <laughs> sign on the wall that says imagine peace. And then www.imaginepeace.com. I thought they were working somewhere. I thought they were having sex in the office of their company. That was oh, Yoko Ono's company. No, but I wasn't aware of the Yoko Ono thing. So I didn't read any of that. I just thought, what's this imagine? And she's wearing a t-shirt <laughs> later. It's like the yeah. company or it's a charity that they're both involved in. Even though he works for a different company, the sales company. I mean, Donald, you clearly don't understand how software works in Silicon Valley. <laughs> this is how you make a billion dollar company. Oracle will just want to buy that just straight up. Yeah, just have sex in your office. <laughs> um, the, 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 the sex and the clothes on. Yes. That's interesting too. And maybe yes, also a... alien, alien-like alien in terms of its uh, conception in that. It's a... It's a very sterile but wants to be sexy movie. It's like a movie that has heard what sex is like, but hasn't actually ever experienced it. And so is like, 
Yeah, you you were in bed with a woman and she's wearing sexy clothes and you still have your belt on, but you're relaxed. Um, You haven't taken off your tank top or your khaki pants, but you've just had a wonderful experience that has fundamentally changed your world. Also, there's a woman in a bikini, but it's a swimsuit bikini, which is a very weird choice, uh, which I feel is probably worth unpacking. You're in a motel room and you're fully clothed, but she's sitting on top of you. Um, so that's what sex is like, right? Again, yeah. like a it's 10 kind of... year old made a film. Yeah. But even a 10 year old might think, well, I think like you wake up and you have the covers over you. Yeah. And or something. Yeah. Or it's not just being prudish. There's a weird like. They wake up in the morning when the birds are attacking them and they're still wearing like he's still wearing his jeans, his whatever. Like, <laughs> Tommy Wiseau yeah. got his arse out and did a five. Yeah. Oh, and that is a major point. in Because con- like, there's a lot of similarities between the room and this in terms of like you know playing mm. out your fantasies on film about who you are as a person yeah um but the the, the major the point is much more is much um, more what's the word like yeah naive yes much, yeah much There's... not prudish but like yeah naive yeah kind of almost innocent in a way and that like he wants you to know that his characters are heterosexual men who are very masculine and have lots of sex but he's never really thought about what sex is like all that's important is that you as a viewer know that they are men who have had sex and are yeah. therefore real men sort of thing as opposed to with Zao who's like no I'm going to make you watch yeah that's it exactly yeah it's very yeah. much like a she's she's a trophy basically because she is she's a model she's his high school crush he's a millionaire he drives a hybrid car that gets like 100 miles to a gallon and is like a solar energy pioneer who could save the world if people listened to him. Um, and it's very much like, yep, yeah, he is a successful human being. He has a girlfriend and also he's sexual with her as opposed to Wizow, <laughs> which is like, no, 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 I'm going to make you watch. You are going to watch me have sex just so you know that I am masculine and hetero kind of I'm very straight. His only concern is that she she only wants him because of how successful and great he is. Like, well, to be fair, um, her mother makes that argument. How, how much money? Yeah, yeah. Her, the, yeah, she was. <laughs> <laughs> one of those great moments, one of those great takes at the moment where her mother gives like the thumbs up and punches the air and like Whitney Moore Incredible. refuses to acknowledge it. And so the actress playing her mother just has to leave the thumb up hanging there awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> Nguyen refuses to cut the scene. Like he refuses to cut the take at the point at which she punches the air. It's like, no, 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 it's it's in the movie. You did it. We're keeping it. It's really, really cringy and uncomfortable. Yeah. He said he talks a lot about how he edited the movie on this computer, this old computer of his. But every every scene like feels like it stops when he pressed stop on <laughs> The camera and started when he and started when he started as well. Yeah, and that's that's what's so weird about the clapping sequence is that it it feels like they've stopped clapping and only start clapping when <laughs> they turn the camera back on. So it's like this weird wave of clapping. It's not a continuous standing ovation that lasts thirty seconds. It's like small little bursts of clapping because he happened to turn the camera on. It's very very odd. And actually, there... just in terms of sorry, go for there. No, there was a, a great moment um, when they're esca- when they're escaping the forest because the forest catches fire, <laughs> um, and they're running away, and the scene is changing. And there's a few frames where there's no VFX. 
like whatsoever like all the flames just disappear and then it goes into the next scene and and they've they've brought the flames back it's it's just so much so much fun to watch it because um because he 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 how much how much like he spent a lot of time um uh editing it and it's kind of like a labor of love but it's it's so it's so it's so strange it's like um it's like those um those little animations only last 10 10 seconds and then um the um the 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 shot is 12 seconds maybe it was like a limitation of the process of the graphics process or something like that could only do a certain amount of time and yeah and I mean, it happens with the music as well, even in the opening scenes, so that sequence where he's driving in the car and the camera's in the dashboard of the car very clearly. But you can tell that he has the music that he's playing over the credits, but it's like 30 seconds long. So all he does is just keeps looping it continuously. He doesn't even fade it in and out. He just sort of like puts it, you can tell as somebody who's used editing software again, he just copies and pastes it over and over again without any sense of transitional fade or any sense of blurring or any sense of like extending it. It's just like, no, 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 we reached the end, hit the loop button. It was the opening scene and I'd already felt like I'd fallen asleep in front of the DVD menu with its looping music. That's an excellent uh, analogy. My, my favorite editing slip up in this film, not slip up. It's just like I, I saw it Freak. and I was like, this is something you never do. It's like when you're filming someone walking and talking, you get them to start walking for a few seconds and then start giving the line. Because if you start talking, there's what as you start walking, there's this moment where you're speeding up, getting up to speed. And they did it. In the in the the scene where they're running away from the beach at the end, it just cuts from them running up the beach to them running uh, on the grass, but they come from a dead stop <laughs> like halfway through their run because he didn't get them to start running before he started recording, which I guess is a result of him editing in camera. That would be an easy thing to fix if you were editing it like a like a normal film. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of those. There's a whole bunch of those as well. Like there's lots of sequences that are silent, like cuts and kind of cuts within scenes that are just strangely silent. Lines that are fubbed (laughs) as a result of like obviously not getting a clean take or his decision to cut away in the middle of our hit stop, but never doing any ADR on it or anything like that. Never doing any cleaning on the sound. There was some ADR in this film though. And I, I think I noticed it because it was like, um, when he's getting the, when he finds the stove in the back of the the mini wagon or the mini <laughs> that was fortuitous. you know he's like a fishing rod and a stove. Look, we have a stove. He he says we can it, cook it, and I know it's ADR because he's pointing away from the camera, and I know that this film was filmed with a top mic on top of the camera, so you wouldn't have been able to hear him that clearly. And it sounds like he's in a kitchen when he says the line, <laughs> <laughs> but he's in a minivan. And um, there was ADR. Is this an example of a film where you know the way people talk about like you'll uh, you will no you won't really notice bad camera work but you'll really notice bad sound? It's one of those things where it's either perfect yeah. or it's not. Whereas video is 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 much more in between. Um, like if this film had a good soundtrack, as in like good sound editing, good sound mix, would it be as bad a film? Would we notice all those edits? Almost certainly not. I think I think not. You do notice some of the the bad kind of uh, uh, video work as well. 
Like even yeah. the, the thing, thing, things like the composition of the uh, the news, yeah. where, <laughs> where 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 it's just a kind of strange thing where you have like the 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 news presenter is down like at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. And She's at the this... bottom uh, left hand, bottom right hand corner of the screen. Um, yeah, and and they have a t- an actual TV. Like they don't yeah. have like a digital overlay. They have like an actual television set uh, taking up the right, <laughs> the top right, left hand quarter. So you have the top right quarter empty, the bottom left quarter empty. And you just have this weird checkerboard effect where they're supposed to be like, they look like they're about equivalent in size to one another. And I mean, again, even within that, it's notable that like he couldn't afford to remove the Getty images. Uh, I was just about to say that. When you're watching it, when they're talking about the celebrity grand prix that's going to be done using green energy um, you have the getty images uh, thing on there as well it's yeah it's shocking <laughs> hollywood celebrities like driving like <laughs> formula one type cars is also a mad idea <laughs> that's how george clooney died in the uh in the in the birdemic universe <laughs> The scene where she gets into her car after he does the meet cute thing, it, it like pans across and like you see her getting into the car and I'm like, well done, James, you got to get into the car. Now you just need to stop on Rod. <laughs> no, but you kept going and then it stops with Rod's head like cut off halfway and we see nothing in the frame, just like cars. <laughs> but like, so he had a dolly. He had like some like, quite expensive stuff i feel to do those shots there was and then w- when he's watching the news there's this like slider across oh, yeah. the living room looking at him in the kitchen like he had some he spent some money but clearly not on like the personnel just on the the dolly <laughs> <laughs> the furthering of his vision as it were yeah i mean that was that was the argument that he made when he was asked to pay uh sort of like employees and was asked to pay staff and workers and stuff like that his response was no he was going to invest the money in the film and then he would pay them with dividends from the film's success which yeah. is again wonderful scam artist kind of language um yeah. so how, how go things over there actually in um in london how it, are things is it quiet it, it, it's hard to uh yeah i no, surprisingly kind of busy. I mean, obviously the our entire worlds are um are dominated by by this. So like all my all my preoccupation is on this thing. I feel like I have nothing else to talk about these days, apart from Birdemic, for which I'm thankful. Uh but yeah, like like yeah, it's um it's strange cuz the cuz loads of people are out and about because they're working from home. So if you go outside, um, it's surprisingly busy. Uh, people are still in pubs and bars, and so, uh, but not so much. So it's this weird in between, which I guess they had in Ireland briefly until everyone couldn't do it. Um, but this weird in between where, where people have been asked not to go to pubs, but they haven't actually asked the pubs to close, um. And so that's very strange to, to, to sort of, because I've, while I'm not inclined to be alarmist, I think it's very clear to look at this situation and go, yeah, okay, this is, this is, this is no joke. Uh, and so therefore, like you, 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 when the don't go to pubs advisory comes in, 
I go, yeah, okay, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll follow that. And then it's really weird when you walk around and see like, ah, people are still going to pubs. I wonder how they're interpreting this whole thing and their own actions in that. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. Yeah. And we weren't yeah. in pubs. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, 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 and the, 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 way, the way it's changing every day as well is incredible. Yeah. The way they did, like, like Darren and I recorded on Sunday and we were saying, oh, will we ask our guests like if they want to do remote? But now even kind of suggesting that they, the, any, anything other than that would, would, would just seem kind of irresponsible. Um, yeah. And the, um, and with work, work, work as well, kind of like um, each, each day it changes. So kind of on Monday, I was told like, um, see you on Wednesday. And then on Tuesday, like the, during the holiday, they were like, okay, no, uh, we're not uh, uh, kind of coming back to the office. Um, um, we'll 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 all be we'll all be working um, from home from now on. Like every everybody is kind of having to um, react, kind of like day by day to it. It's um, not incredible. Yeah, and it's weirdly simultaneously incredible, and we all have this sense of astonishment. But it's amazing how quickly we habituate to that being. Even, even that momentum, even that change, that dynamic being the norm. Um, how, like, I remember I was looking at the, like, the Guardian, like, live update page. This is actually probably what, last week, maybe, or maybe it was earlier on this week. Things are shifting so quickly. Um, in which it said, there was this, like, list of things that had happened. And it was just this scatter of normal life and, uh, uh, that was being impacted. So it was like, all professional football in England is cancelled. Um, you know, Justin Trudeau's wife is in isolation, some other bunch of otherwise unconnected things. And if I'd screenshotted that and sent that to myself two months ago or three months ago, before this is even on the horizon, I would have went, what the f*** is this? But I was looking at it and going, oh yeah, no, I guess that makes sense. Um, it's incredible how quickly you habituate to the absolutely extraordinary happening. Isn't it strange that the, the, the things that happen in Birdemic are potentially like less weird than what's happening right now? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean not, not the, I mean, obviously the actual things that happen, but the, but sort of the broader scenario seems more localized yeah. and temporary and, yeah. right. and maybe more direct a threat. Well, like we had giant hornets. Giant hornets is birdemic in real life. Do you remember giant hornets in China? No, no. And they were sm they were smashing through windshields. They were like, "Wow, how did this? How did I miss this? When did this happen?" You were yeah, you've just forgotten about it. It was big news. It was like a couple of years ago. Giant hornets. I'm gonna Google and make sure I didn't dream this, but it's yeah, giant possible. hornets was birdemic in real life. Um, but, like, remember, but it was. Do you remember biker mice from Mars? Yeah. Wait, I remember <laughs> yeah. the mice. <laughs> that in real life doesn't exist, unfortunately. Oh. Okay. Sorry, I'm misremembering. Um, the boring scene bears, is it? Um, the Mandela effect, basically. Asian giant hornet. Oh, Asian giant hornet. Forty-two people in China. Oh wow. Oh my but, god. For over what Injured period of time? More than one and a half thousand people. Over what period China of time? goes to war with giant hornets. Over what period of time? 
Uh, this was in 2013. Wow, yeah, that's more. And like clearly, the giant hornets existed before and continue to exist today. There was obviously just a particularly bad season. Yeah, I guess it was just more. It was like a plague. Wow. So what we're yeah, saying is, it, pandemic it, it is the movie of the times, really. Yes. <laughs> it's it's interesting that yeah, the pandemic we're having right now is like the most sort of commonplace kind of illness like it's a very deadly version of a really commonplace illness but it's because it's so global that hmm. it's it, it has all these consequences which feel so bizarre whereas birdemic is like a really low well i mean we presume it's a pandemic in the film but we don't really see it but like it's just in half moon bay or whatever it is uh it's a really localized but much more extreme uh, emergency uh so it doesn't feel as bizarre insidious as does. yeah yeah or difficult like, to grapple with. I think the yeah. answers are are both, you know, immediate. Um, so there's a long term answer in which you, you know, stop, uh, you know, uh, burning fossil fuels, I guess, and respect nature more and live in tree houses. Um, but then there's the more immediate things that you can shoot the bir- the birds. But yeah. in our present yeah. context, yeah. we can't. Um, in our present context, the 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 absence of easy answers um the absence of scientific consensus yeah well, uh, for which there would be mm. i presume in this maybe situation <laughs> um is is what makes it the more yeah. tormenting i guess yeah i thought about that or how do you relative how, how, how do you draw a connection between what we're doing right now and birdemic and like in birdemic it's the birds that get the infection because he says dr jones says stay away from the birds they're, they're infected so they've got the virus, but it's a result of global warming. Yeah, I couldn't really work it out in the end. I mean, kelp. Something about kelp. That was they the, spew that was the all over yeah. those uh, people outside the bus, don't they? They do. They spray acid, which was yeah. apparently orange juice. He had to do that scene in one take. You'll never believe it, but he had to do it in one take because they could only afford enough orange juice uh, for one take of that shot. Also, the sequence in which the famous sequence in which they meet Ramsey and Becky at the motel and basically grab coat hangers and sort of have them <laughs> and use them to defend themselves. Originally, they were supposed to use a shower rod uh, from the motel. Like they were supposed to take a shower rod out of the shower and use that to fend off the birds. Uh, but he discovered that the production budget wouldn't span the $8 it would take to buy a shower rod from the local DIY store to use in the scene. Um, so they improvised and used the coat hangers from the motel room that they'd rented. <laughs> I mean, true guerrilla filmmaking. On the orange juice front, I mean, orange juice is quite acidic, so you know, yeah. kind of makes sense. It's a logical connection. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to draw there. Yeah. Um. Oh. Um. In terms of other lines that I love, I quite like the kids who are terrible, but are terrible in the way that kids can get away with in movies. Well, they do say um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yes, they they're do. actually quite polite. Well, they don't look particularly impressed with the fish that he cooks at the end. Were you no, impressed? they want a happy meal. That's fair. Primarily because he doesn't sterilize it first either. He just kind of drops it in and leaves the, <laughs> the tail dangling out and assumes that will cook it. Um, but what's the well, line? My first it's... instinct would not have been to boil that fish. On a stove. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, like... Surely you can find a way to barbecue it, make a grill it. Oh, it would have been so nice, kind of, if you just kind of put it, uh, like, next to a fire, like, on a rock or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, let's mix this with water and seaweed. (laughs) Yeah. But also, it looked like it had turned into a chowder, 
or something by the time he was kind of like playing with it with his fork because <laughs> the kids wanted Happy Meals. And he was sort of like non-committally sort of nudging his stuff around. Um, it would turn like, yeah, it turned into some sort of chowder affair. All the talk about Happy Meals made me wonder what Happy Meals would they do for this movie as well. Kind of tie what in, is it? What would the toy be? Like what yeah, the toys exactly. Would be. Like probably It'd be that like band. the eagle screeching, right? The, the birds. Definitely there would be a bird, yeah, yeah. And it, and it little like, coat hangers. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. With like oh. a coat hanger that goes forward and back. Yeah. Rod's car that gets 100 miles <clears throat> a gallon. Yeah. Uh, that's solar panels. Do kids like playing with solar panels? Probably not. It would be a solar um, powered car. The old little tree house. Oh, yeah. And a mountain lion. But the mountain lion is invisible. <laughs> Maybe a treehouse that makes the noise of a mountain lion when you press it. What happened at the end? What the? Of they the they look out into the ocean. The doves came and saved them because yeah. peace. But it, like it's such a long scene that oh. scene. But oh, the credits yeah, are coming up. Looking at the waves. Yeah, like, there's like five minutes of looking at waves. Yeah, but even before the credits start rolling, it's a solid three minutes of that. Sequence. Oh yeah, yeah. You're waiting it, for them to roll the credits. So. And the birds and aren't getting further go. away because they're gifts. They're like the same pile, <laughs> and he hasn't figured out how to shrink them. One set of birds is like motionless, and the other is flapping their wings. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what was the ultimate conclusion of the movie that the birds left them? The dove scared them off because, as, as uh, Donald pointed out, imagine peace. But I don't know what in, what made the on me. yeah. I I don't know what made the doves come though, or what changed that that provoked that their their. The, it, it was a sudden change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he apparently wanted to shoot them at a bungalow. He wanted the climax to be shot at a bungalow that would be attacked by the birds, but ran out of money. So he just had the birds attack the minivan instead. Um, I kind of love this quote from uh, like from Nguyen when he was asked to sum up like what he thinks the appeal of Birdemic is. And this is just a wonderful <laughs> quote here. It's got a great storyline. <laughs> it makes you think. It makes you think why the birds and eagles attack people. <laughs> this is, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It does make you think that. So, I mean, you know, he's got it. Like, he, he understands the appeal of the movie. He's fundamentally understood his audience there, uh, which is kind of ingenious. He doesn't say, like, why did the birds explode? No. Or why no. they make dive bomber sounds as they're landing as well. Oh, they <laughs> do, don't they? They go the same sound over and over again. <laughs> the virus creates methane gas in, does that explode? Well, maybe. In their stomachs. Yeah, Excess, ah, and, they, and that's the high-pressure sound. Yeah, and they're furious from, like, it's like a rabies-style virus. Like okay. indigestion. Yeah, clearly, like, indigestion, because so, they've got so much methane Our inside juice. themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we can make perfect... Acid Wait, reflux. Sorry, Donald, I stole, I stole your job there. You're the scientist. You oh, That's quite all right. Thing. Luckily, we have a scientist. I wanted to say earlier on, I wanted to say doves ex machina, but uh, but I lost my opportunity. Ah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Um, you can edit that in, right, Dan? Somehow. <laughs> yeah. We'll fix that in post. Um, just like we fixed the movie in post. Yeah. This, is, this podcast is done entirely in camera. Um, and just yeah. very, very quickly, I kind of... 
I think we're kind of reaching the end here, but one of the things that I think is maybe an interesting point that's been made about this film and about The Room and kind of like a semi-vaguely serious exploration of what makes them so fascinating is that they, according to, and it's Lanika Cruz at The Atlantic and Scott Tobias at The AV Club have both made this point, that one of the, the core appeals of both uh, The Room um, and Birdemic is the structuring or kind of studying of the art of American small talk through the prism of a kind of a, somebody who speaks English as a second language and rendering that small talk, that kind of quintessentially American kind of odd politeness, the kind of the, the exchanges that mean absolutely nothing, but like filtering it through the prism of somebody who comes from a, a culture or speaks a language where it isn't as customary to have that, to have those small exchanges. And what's kind of interesting is that like both Whitney Moore um, and Alan Ba have talked about when they were filming the movie, they would repeatedly try to change the dialogue to make it more naturalistic. And Wynne would repeatedly shoot them down and say, no, the line is the line. I wrote it and you're going to say it. And so what you have is, and I think Andrew kind of described it as like an alien looking at planet Earth and trying to replicate that in a Petri dish. And I kind of like one of the arguments that made about both The Room and about Birdemic is not necessarily the appeal of kind of the meta story or that the bird invasion or kind of that sort of stuff. It's the idea of looking at the way that human beings and particularly Americans talk to one another and trying to recreate that, but without understanding it. So it becomes kind of alien and monstrous. And that like wonderful meet cute sequence at the start um, with the two of them, where you have that sense of like, this is what I think somebody who has heard a meet cute described how they would write it. If they had never seen a romantic comedy before or talked to another human being, I kind of wonder if maybe that's part of the appeal of the film is kind of filtering that through a unique perspective that is that is so interesting uh and because it's relevant to the room as well because he is not a native <clears throat> speaker right tell me why is that yeah. no he's american <laughs> um, <laughs> he i don't think he's ever revealed like where he's from has he it does have that quality but that would make more sense if the only alien lens thing were the language but that's not the only alien lens thing the meat cute doesn't make sense for loads of reasons and i don't know if it's just american culture reasons the sound editing don't make sense doesn't make sense. so you don't need to i don't know if you need to invoke the um the the you know viewing american culture externally um it doesn't if, get him out of jail if if viewing human culture <laughs> externally uh explains more of the weirdness of the film but it is a great yeah. explanation i mean it is the general point is really well made but i don't know i don't i'm not sure i'm confident it's just the american bit that's he's an alien there. that's what i'm saying it's probably yeah. a layer of it yeah, yeah. absolutely maybe it ex it's accentuated but yeah i mean it's, it, it reveals like a lot of things that you are habituated to and take for granted, uh, it's only when they go weird or when they're out of joint that you even realize they're there. Uh, yeah. And so the naturalness of small talk and, and you know, sounds not jerking around loads uh, is, uh, is only revealed, yeah, through, through not understanding them <laughs> and then trying to, like, make a film anyway. 
kind of yeah. almost as a counterexample, existence as a counterexample, reality as a counterexample, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, all right, then I think that about wraps it up. Unless there's anything else anybody wants to talk about, any bigger there, characters or wait, scenes or there, moments. There absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, okay, don has got two. Don's got two. So you. Uh, okay, then. Uh, the first one is only a, it was an observation, but I really identified. I think that the character I most identified with was Natalie. Um, not just because I'm an underwear model, but the, um, <laughs> the, the moment where they're raiding the shop and like all her friends have like just loads and loads and loads of water bottles and maybe a couple of sandwiches. And she's like, and they're like being called out of the shop and she's got one hand on a bottle of champagne and she's there. Oh, I guess that's not the vibe and puts it back and runs out. Yeah. <laughs> She's reading the label. Yeah, yeah. Like, going, oh, what vintage is this? And no one can afford this. Or is this Cremant? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's what you put it then. These Victoria's Secret models, you know, successful Victoria's Secret models <laughs> yeah. and Victoria's Secret cover models um, clearly have high standards. That's clearly, Absolutely. You know, sort of like... <laughs> um, the second one, which I guess, like, maybe we could have spent a whole other half hour talking about. It's the f***ing transition on 45 minutes. The oh, moment yeah, it all changes. Because in pre-spoiler the... zone, da, uh, Andrew, uh, or no, Donald, you said you skipped no, to Andrew the middle. Did. No, you said, so one of you said you skipped to the middle and you were like, what oh. kind of film is this? Oh, yeah. Right? And I didn't have the benefit of that. I had to sit through <laughs> 47 minutes of this film. I'm like, when are they going to get to the <laughs> 47 minutes. And then an immediate... You see a little bit when you see the dead bird on the beach, right? Oh, and also yeah. the CGI parrots. Don't forget the CGI yeah, parrots, the parrots on the stage oh, as well. <laughs> I don't even remember I mean, them. Nguyen, Nguyen would state that like you clearly weren't paying enough attention to the yeah, ominous really signs wasn't. that he was seeding through the film, apparently. Uh, to hear him 47 minutes, bang. <laughs> like, just like chaos. <laughs> yeah. CGI chaos. And- and the moment they have sex as well, which is one of those great horror movie tropes. Like, horror <laughs> movies are generally like, if you have sex, you're going to get killed by a monster. Um, I love that Birdemic's like, no, no, if you have sex, you will apparently provoke a climate change apocalypse. <laughs> Heavy petting in, like, bikinis is about as far as you can go. I had time as well. I, I, I said last night, like, I'm not going to watch the whole thing. Because I think I made that decision kind of while watching it. It's like, no, I'm not going to watch all of this. I'm going to wa- watch the first half, and now I'll watch the second half tomorrow. So I timed it up until like like one half through. Like, and that was, it was I, I was just pausing it at the moment where it started like bombing. And I was like, oh damn, this is actually a bad time. To, like, do we think that was a choice? Out. I'm going to do this halfway through. So like half of the film is going to be build up and half of the film is going to be the Birdemic. Was that like, do you reckon it was intentional? It was apparently. It was based on Hitchcock. Because again, he's, he's oh. again, Nguyen has stated that he has no formal film training. <laughs> um, surprising absolutely nobody here. But he Except did study... for the film school of 
Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock. Isn't it? Yeah. That's it exactly. Yeah, he studied at the film school of Alfred Hitchcock. And again, in that Vice Petition documentary, to which film school. Yeah, they, <laughs> no, let's they were decertified several years ago um, after an unfortunate strangling incident. Um, but yes, the um, if you look at the video, the documentary that kind of goes into like the making of this. If you go, his room has posters and framed pictures of Hitchcock in it as well. He's described like he doesn't think The Birds is his greatest movie, uh, but he does think that Rear Window is or maybe vertigo is he's actually managed he's right there. he's actually managed to blag his way into interviews with um david lynch um by claiming to be making a documentary about alfred hitchcock which is quite remarkable as well to show how far his reach is so i think that yeah his, his decision is to build kind of tension he wants from a perspective of a writer and director he wants you to invest in this story of you know rod and natalie and to like to feel for them as people it's the romance part of the romantic thriller. He said that, you know, he could never consider making a romantic comedy. He doesn't do chick flicks, but he feels like this is a nice compromise between the two. You have 45 minutes of romance and then you have 45 minutes of birdemic. That's apparently a conscious choice on his part. Do you, but do you think the, the exact partitioning of it that way was not so much a choice as like, well, they're like two bits. So obviously, <laughs> obviously it's split in half. Like that there was no choice. Like I want to do this and that's going to maybe take half an hour. And then the other bit is like, well, no, yeah, there are two separate things I need to do. So, so like two, <laughs> one film divided by two. Well, that's it. When you look, when you look at the film, do you think that there's ever a moment where a choice was made in any real shape? Like when you look at like, he can't decide to cut scenes early. He can't decide to trim like three or four seconds off the sight of Natalie's mother giving an awkward thumbs up. He can't decide to cut an entire line when he lost half of it in the sound mix. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the process you're describing makes perfect sense. This movie is going to be a romantic thriller. That means it's going to be half romantic and half thriller. And if we break it right smack down, bang through the middle. The irony is, though, that like when you structure it like that, you kind of imagine that in order to get that perfect like 45 minute gap, he had to cut something somewhere. Oh, unless yeah. he's some sort of genius where he just happened to like mathematically edit it in his head, like sort of Christopher Nolan style. And was like, no, I know exactly what I need, exactly how much footage I need. I know exactly how much film I need. Um, so yeah, it's going to be exactly I think, 45 minutes. I think it's the latter, but I, I, I think it's more kind of like intuitive. I, 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 I think... I think I think he he's he's kind of um, some strange kind of idiot savant where where, <laughs> where he just kind of um, um, uh, happened that way, but he has a knack for it. Yeah, um, yeah. Like it's like counting the the uh, matchsticks or, or something. <laughs> he doesn't even realize um, that he's kind of doing it, so to speak. It just sort of happens yeah. intuitively. Um, and again, like that that's the thing about it because you. Have we just together. revealed the genius of him <laughs> <laughs> that he himself probably doesn't even know? <laughs> he has this mind for structure yeah. that just needs to be unpacked. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there's probably some job on a movie that he should he could be given and would do a good job on. Right. Runner. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> he, they, but there are a lot of there. There's bad things that we haven't mentioned. They're fonts. Oh the... my god, the kerning. The kerning the on that kerning. font. It changes. It even like it's like normal and then it's stretchy. You know, I don't know what the word is, but like it's like squashed out. Right. In the next in the next, like, it's so bad. 
And the alignment changes as well for font nerds. I think that's like, what I meant that by most... kerning. Oh, yeah, sorry. So, like, yeah, so, like, the direct, so the, the bulk of it's in the middle of the screen, in the center of the screen. I did like the supporting casts, uh, plural, um, of the film. But also <laughs> then when you get to the director credit, like, most people put the directed by credit in the middle of the screen. He puts it down the bottom right-hand <laughs> corner like it's a TV episode, which is very strange. It's a very weird choice. Um, it draws attention to it, but not in the way that most directors kind of would, which is very, very surreal. Um, oh, also in terms of just little small terrible things in that, the pan when the two of them, when Rod and Natalie are making out on the bed, the pan down to her legs. Feet. And there we go. The balls of her feet, which are like Quentin Tarantino level dirty, uh, which is a very strange choice. Um, and the like the decision to focus on those feet, where the balls of her feet are like, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No, There's a sequence yet, where uh, Margaret Qualley's character puts her feet up on the dashboard and Qualley was apparently embarrassed because she wanted to get them cleaned and Tar- Quentin Tarantino, being Quentin Tarantino, was like, nope, 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 they're good as they are. There's a real sense of that in this where the camera's panning down her legs and it's just like, yep, yeah, she's been walking around that motel room for several hours today without any shoes on. Um, it's very strange. It, it, again, it's it's a small thing, but it's something that really caught my eye mm. watching it. The, the one thing I wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet, which is my favorite part about this film, and I think it will stay with me for years from now, and I'm going to try and play it all the way through this quarantine, is, <laughs> what's his name? His name was... Oh, yes, yeah. Down, Damien I, Carter. Damien and Carter. And the song, Hanging Out With My Family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just, ha- it just hanging fantastic. out. It is fantastic. It's like a sexy song about a man and a woman, but the chorus is hanging out with my family. Uh, and it's like, a and lip- granny. It's lip synced as well. Yeah, and like that's Damien Carter in the it film. Is. That's yeah. the guy who wrote the song. I looked him up, and and um, James, pronounced name. Uh, <laughs> He found this artist and like liked his songs and got him to be in the film. Do I have that right? I hope I do. And um, but that song, I kind of love the. You can tell that wins like this is going to be like the viral breakout song. This is like Will Smith doing <laughs> Men in Black for Men in Black. This is like when people recognize how good Birdemic is. Hanging out with my family will be blaring from every top forty station <laughs> on the radio because he gives. <laughs> what? Because I don't even remember any lines. I think there's some great lines in there. It felt like a song about incest, didn't it? Like, because there was a weird kind of, like, a juxtaposition of, yeah, it being, like, that sexy, but, like, all my family are there. uh, There's an interview with the artist, and he's just talking about, it's just, like, a fun song, just, like, to get people up dancing. Like, it's, I don't think he intended it to be an incest song at all. I love that the idea of like accidental incest art as opposed to like intended incest uh, art. Um, but yeah, it's like keeping keeping the things in. <laughs> yeah, hanging out with my family. It's a party. <laughs> Having ourselves a party. Young ladies doing their makeup and the brothers can't wait to hook up. <laughs> so grandma starts to dancing and grandma starts to prancing. To make sure that the fellas don't try any don't try glancing. any glancing. Oh, it's so good, but it's such a good song. Like that chorus Again, is really good. 
it feels very much again this is like if if the movie feels like an alien looking at like people and trying to make a movie it feels like the song itself is like aliens looking at sexy or and b and trying to make a song about it it's like what's important in songs family values what's also important in songs catchy bass lines and parties um and making sure that there are sexual metaphors in there all right just cram them all in oh no i don't know i feel like it's more truthful it's the two of them dancing in this bar to this one guy. It's the most <laughs> awkward scene. Oh, the bartender's also there with his very... Yeah. Weird, again, another one of those weird <laughs> scenes which exists purely to validate Rod, where the bartender walks up, serves him the two beers, and says, here's your beers, while smiling at him. Um, <laughs> it's just... And again, you can tell, again, to, to like... You know, obviously, production limitations shot at businesses outside of closing hours. And to be fair, at least the bar looks like a bar as opposed to his office, which looks like a bedroom. Um, <laughs> but, it, like, you can tell that it's very much we shot after closing hours with a crew of five people. And three of them were actors. Is it meant to be an Irish bar? There's, There's like, a, there's there's like a Jackson, British bar right? later on, isn't yeah. The British bar was the Half Moon Bay bus scene. This is oh, the yeah. Piccadilly Circus. But is it not but, the no, same no. place? It is the same place. Inside the tribe, it the has like an Irish flag outside. outside. Yeah, and inside it has a Piccadilly Circus sign on the wall. Yeah, and a Union Jack. I think they just don't care about the distinction. Right. <laughs> Again, it's like an alien. It's, it's like, like the they're all one thing, right? Yeah, they're over there. Yeah. Northern Ireland, right? That, that could be it. The, yeah. Coronavirus doesn't care. Yeah. And, and neither right. does this yeah. movie. And yeah, maybe coronavirus made the movie. That's right. It doesn't care about borders. <laughs> we wouldn't fear this with coronavirus if we felt like it had made this movie. No. Wouldn't we? No. We would be confused by it. <laughs> yes. yes. More than we currently are, which is a lot. <laughs> confused and terrified. In fact, it would be typical of the coronavirus to make a confusing film. Yeah, yeah, because you can't get a handle on it. People are like, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's behind it. I don't know what makes it tick. I think. What would you? Would you not? You'd be more inclined to think that those giant Chinese hornets made it. Made this movie. <laughs> Because they're the star of the show. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Just, just thinly, like thinly just veiled. <laughs> yeah, if it's, it's like James Nguyen making this and he is Todd is the giant <laughs> hornets making this and they and are they're the, the birds. birds. <laughs> Vespa Mandarinia is, is, is what they're called. Ah, which means yeah. the Mandarin wasp. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Science. Um, there you go. Got it in there. I'm glad we had a proper scientist on here for this episode. Oh God, it's probably <laughs> not called the Mandarin wasp. I just <laughs> I have no idea. But um, it is worth noting, actually, by the way, when uh, Nguyen got money from Severin Films to distribute it, he apparently wanted to use some of the money to fix it up. Apparently wanted to invest some of the money in the special effects in the film. But Severin said, no, we're releasing it exactly as is. And I think that was probably the right call. Because um, I, I kind of like, I feel like this is just crap enough to be an amazing cinematic experience. I feel like if it were just a little bit better, it would be genuinely horrible. Um, as in, like, it would be less fun. Yeah, it wouldn't be on the list if it looked any better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Tim Tim and Eric actually like like one of the reasons why they admire movies like The Room and Birdemic so much is because they try to make things look like this and they say they they find it really difficult so like these are the kind of um uh touch points um that they that they that they have to kind of look out for because they 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 um there's a there's a <laughs> there's like a difficulty in people who did go to film school like they did trying trying to create cre create things with this sort of a feel um so it's there, 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 there is definitely something, um, um, yeah, something about it. Yeah, you're touching on a really interesting thing, like because in music, it's really common, like this lo-fi thing, which is is like really magical and has a certain emotion to it. When a big budget production tries to recreate it, it often like falls flat, or you see right through it. Um, it must be really hard in the film world as well to make something like Bird Birdemic. I mean, we're confident. We're on. confident it's not intentional, right? I mean, there's no room for thinking that he set out to make a movie and he's just I, been I, like a performance artist. I don't think so, because isn't that what Tommy Wiseau yeah. like went back afterwards and said like it was intentionally like it was a black comedy. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it was intentionally. Uh, I, Nguyen has, I don't think has never done that. Yeah. The same has always said it's serious. Nguyen has always said that, you know, I'm glad people are watching it and, you know, it's good that it's reaching people, but I do mean it as a serious film and I want to be taken seriously as a filmmaker and I want Hollywood to give me 10 to $20 million to make Birdemic <laughs> 3. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. But, like, it just feels... That's what makes it so mysterious because it's hard to imagine someone intentionally making a movie and it being like this but it's also hard to uh, you know sincerely making trying to make a good movie and it being like this but it also it is hard to imagine someone trying to make a bad movie and being so, so successful so it is it does yeah. these are very deeply mysterious films to me well it's 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 the appeal of naive art as well like there, there's there there in in the in the individual art world there's a real kind of a what's his um, name the jungle guy Jungle guy? Uh, you know, he painted Mowgli. the scene. Mowgli. He painted jungle things around like the Impressionist time. and Henry Rousseau? Yeah, that's it. But I mean, he's genuinely good. He's not, he's not James. <laughs> Just so we're clear. <laughs> Just so we're clear. Um, th I guess that's a contradiction to your point, Andrew. That, that, some <laughs> the, the, the thing you're talking about is is people who are actually good who were found to be good later oh maybe james will be found to be good later as well. maybe he'll be vindicated by history yeah um, like colonel sanders yeah <laughs> um, the um yeah the um What's we call it? Yeah, didn't it? wasn't there wasn't there a um like a plot point in um was it june book where um uh, he's like a, an an art dealer, but doing these um, featuring these kind of um, people who 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 um, yeah who have no formal training, like somebody who's kind of like um, some Appalachian who's 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 just decided to draw. Anyway, that, that's that, that's kind of the um, 
the feeling that the, the that this movie has. Yeah, it's not as good as Henry Russo. Um, <laughs> yeah, to be entirely but I know clear. What you're Perfect. All right, so um, I think that about wraps it up in terms of talking about Birdemic. Um, what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we do two rounds of kind of questions. First thing we do is we ask um, our guests to recommend something for listeners. Now, again, it could be anything you're enjoying. It could be a bit of music. It could be a film. It could be a book. It can just be an experience like walking around outside, but something that you're enjoying that brings you a bit of pleasure and a bit of relief, particularly at this moment in time. So, um, Andrew, do you want to go first? Give Donald and Donald a bit of time to think about it. Um, yeah, I'll 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 go ahead with a recommendation. I'm I'm I, and I've I've only just kind of started watching a couple of episodes of it, and it's not a strong recommendation, but it's uh, it's Medical Police, um, and it's a this weird Netflix. yes yeah it's a weirdly prescient show because it's a it's a comedy about um it's like a spin off of Children's Hospital where they're traveling around the world trying to defeat a virus. And it's, it's just come out and they had no idea <laughs> um, uh, about coronavirus. Um, and it's quite, like, um, it, 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 it is quite funny. Um, Children's and, Hospital. Yeah, it's the, it's the, um, it's a spin-off of, 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 of Children's Hospital. It's not amazing, but it's very, um, it's very apropos. Timely. Um, and and it does have its moments as well. Uh, and it's very much aiming for that anti-comedy sort of thing. Uh, having watched it, yeah, absolutely. Movies. There's there's a lot of people in it that I like. Um, Rob Ubel um, uh, is one of the kind of stars of it who um, who I always kind of enjoy in things. Um, and you'll see you'll see a lot of people in each episode um, that you'll probably recognize, know, like. So um, yeah. Um, check that out. Right, and uh, Donald Sweeney. Uh, I'm struggling to think of it, but I guess in quarantine times, I would recommend. Uh, I'm not sure wherever whoever is listening to this is in the world, but in England, it's really hard to buy flour, so I can't really recommend this for everyone. But if you can get <laughs> some bread flour and some yeast, I highly recommend in your quarantine times you start making uh, this particular bread called Pan Alancien, which changed the game for me in terms of bread. You can make it. You start it in the evening. It takes you 10 minutes in the evening, and then you leave it in the fridge overnight, and then you make it in the morning. There's no kneading. It's f***ing delicious. It tastes better than any bread you've bought in a supermarket in your entire life. It's called Pan Alancien, P-A-I-N-A-L apostrophe A-N-C-I-E-N-N-E. And if you Google that and the words Peter Reinhardt, you'll find recipes on some websites. I think the freshloaf.com is the <laughs> forum for bread bacon nerds. We'll put it in the make, show notes. It's f***ing delish and very easy to make and made me start baking bread. Um, and Donald, quarantine times Donald is a real lover of bread. Like, that, I would, uh, yeah. <laughs> My species would just bread. I've known, yeah. I've known, like, us to go to the supermarket and you'll get bread and you'll be eating, like, just the bread kind of on your way back. And, yeah. Yeah. But Panel Ancien, that's my recommendation. Perfect. Um, and uh, Donald Smith. 
So yeah, one thing I've been enjoying recently, which I used to do a while ago, I had forgotten about it, but it came up in conversation, is a long time ago, I um, I was having a wee, and it was a really long wee, because I'd been stuck in a truck for ages, and I had been drinking before, and and I had this really long wee, and I was thinking, this might be one of my longest wees ever, but I had no way of knowing whether it was, because I hadn't timed it. And I also hadn't been timing all the other ways I'd ever had. So I had no so, idea how long so a normal wee was. So it's your recommendation that you start timing your wees to determine an average and therefore yeah. measure... Or that you just start timing, that you get your friends also to time your wee, their wees for fun <laughs> and see what the variation is. But there's another layer. So time your wees, timing your wees and telling your friends what your wee time is. And also then... Trying to predict your wee duration prior to having your wee is the next level then. So you go, oh, I feel like this is an 18 second. Can you look at the clock while you're while you're doing it? Is it is it like you you know when you're drinking the Guinness and you're trying to get it down to the to the bottom of the G? Yeah. Like are you allowed kind of um look at, at, at how much time has passed? Yeah. Yeah. Um... I generally don't, but I think like it's essentially an honesty system. You should know whether or not you're 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 pushing. You or, can go or slower or faster, yeah. Yeah, but don't like just do it naturally. Like, but also like, who are you cheating? There's no prize for longest or shortest. Oh, sorry, is there not? <laughs> no, oh. not really. It's more out of now curiosity. We started with a pun, and we I, ended I would... with a pun. I would also like to point out to listeners that this is just two days into quarantine. (laughs) 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 We've already reached, we've already kind of passed shining slash lighthouse levels of uh, (laughs) activities to keep you occupied. It was incredible because like last night I was like, oh yes, I'm, I don't, I'm not having to go into work. I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this. And I was like, if I'm bored, it's my fault. And then like immediately (laughs) bored. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Cause like, cause we have a baby. We're like, oh my fucking God, this is going to be horrible. We're stuck with a baby. I envy all the like Netflix watching fucking child-free people, but We'll be f-ing laughing in two weeks when you want to kill yourself and we haven't gotten bored yet. This f-ing thing screaming. When, when Donal has run out of bodily functions to time and estimate. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had time to time my bodily functions. Uh, but yeah, I would recommend actually, and this is an interesting one because it's arguably a film that kind of falls into the same range as Birdemic. And I think Andrew knows what this is already. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing an independent movie that was shot on a very low budget in America called Butt Boy. The premise of oh, yeah. is that a... And this Sorry, what, is, it's a butt, butt with a T. Two T's. With two T's. Butt Boy. Okay. Right? Yeah. The premise of the movie is that Detective Russell Fox, who is an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic, comes to suspect that his sponsor has developed a weird obsession 
whereby he is swallowing people with his asshole and is responsible for a series of strange disappearances um, in the local area. However, Fox can't prove this and finds himself engaged in a ruthless game of cat and mouse uh, with his sponsor at AA. It is an interesting movie. It is shot on a really tiny budget and it commits wholeheartedly to the weirdness of its premise. Um, It's very much a body horror in the style of kind of like, I think Andrew is on this podcast, pitched Sugar Tits. It is remarkably close to Sugar Tits um, in terms of content. Didn't we change the name of that movie to Soft Paths? Yes, yes. You, I asked pass. you it's if you close. wanted to make sugar tits with me, and you said soft pass. And then I thought, that's a great name for the movie. Um, good to have you on board, Darren. Um, but, uh... How do you watch Butt Boy? Um, Butt Boy will be available to stream online from uh, the end of the month, so keep an eye out for it. Um, it's remarkable. It commits wholeheartedly to its premise. It plays it entirely straight. There are sequences that are very much riffing on heat, except it just so happens to be a movie about a man who can swallow entire people with his anal cavity. Um, it is something <laughs> to behold. I'm not sure it's good, but it's one of the most interesting things I have seen in a very long time. Um, so that would be very, very worth checking out. Is it? Does it have a lot of CGI? No. Um, there is a sequence in the third act where it goes... Um, and to be fair, this is probably a bit of a spoiler, but where it goes fully into the realm of the absurd. Um, and it's done remarkably low budget for what it does. Um, but it's it looks quite impressive. Um, and again, it feels like the kind of movie that Birdemic wanted to be but was incapable of being. Like, if if Birdemic had had $10,000 and had wanted to make a movie about this abstract horror, but understood how money and film and production and sound and people work, it might look a lot like Bird Boy, is basically what I'm saying. Um, so it's very, Ooh. very worth sticking out. Um, if you are... Bird Boy. Butt boy, uh, B U T T B O Y. You said bird boy. <laughs> bird boy, sorry. Well, but like demic. The prequel to Birdman. <laughs> yeah. um, all right then. Um, so that about wraps it up. If people are looking for a bit of Donal and Donal online, uh, where can they find you guys? Um, you guys mentioned that you recorded a podcast together. Oh, you can't find that. Um, That's an offline exclusive. I don't think you can find me online. Yeah, I don't really have any presence online, which is strange because I work in the media industry and I should. I have a website that has no content on it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I guess this podcast will be... You should listen to my music. I'm in two bands. Oh, what are you right. talking about, Tom? Yeah. You should, uh... I have no general corporate aside from the two bands that I'm in. Are they going to be covering hanging out with my family? That's the question. Yeah. Very soon. I mean, that'll be that'll be a quarantine activity. You should go on Spotify or any of those services and listen to Crumple, C R U M P L E, or the other band I'm in, Atlanta Dream Season. Uh, spelled, oh, I've heard about that. Donald, Donald will be going out on his balcony playing, hanging out with my family. <laughs> yeah, my neighbors, my neighbors are not civilian, um, <laughs> as in you know they're not Spanish or Italian, uh, fun loving. No. <laughs> they were like, get the back in your butt. <laughs> uh, all right, then. Um, and you can follow the podcast. We're online, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, iTunes, wherever good podcasts and sometimes also good podcasts are found. And um, you can follow us online at, at the 250. Um, please feel free to rate us to share us. It helps get the word out. We'll be back next week uh, where we've managed to impromptu 
Um, and unexpectedly, uh, with the COVID-19 crisis happening and self-quarantining happening and a lot of mobility and travel being shut down, what we've decided we're going to do is we're going to help bring the world to your ears. You can't go out into the world. We're going to bring the world to you. So we're going to be talking about Contratiempo, um, a.k.a. The Invisible Guest, which is a new Spanish film that's appeared on the 250. And joining us for that will be the wonderful Anya O'Connor, who is, I believe, a first time, a long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, so we'll be back next week. See you then. Bye. 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 It's almost like heaven, 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 yes it is.